Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got Hello everyone and welcome to 99, our 99th episode of Two Sleeps in a Gully. Um, I'm joined remotely by Glenn, who's joining us from an hour in the past. How are you, Glenn? Hello, can you hear me? I'm, I'm back into the future. <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah, you're talking to us from the past. So Glenn has decided to go and spend the festive season in Queensland. Yeah, the land of Michael, Michael Mesa. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, they must. Queensland must have been absolutely buzzing that uh, Nisa finally got his his start. It was. He's been a two slips in the gully favourite for quite a while. I'm also joined in studio by a special guest. His name is also Aaron. How are you, Aaron? I'm very well, thank you, Aaron. How are you going? I am pretty good. Uh, so, uh, you excited to be here? First episode, coming in in the pressure-packed 90s. It's not always the best time to come in. I felt like I'm walking in on a hat-trick ball. <laughs> you're, almost, you're almost like Glenn McGrath. You're coming in, the established batsmen in the 90s. You've got to get us to 100. It's a big deal. Well, it is, considering that my broadcasting knowledge is probably equal to McGrath's batting ability. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, very honoured to be here. actually been a fan for a long time. Listen to several of the podcasts when I get a chance, when I'm not being nagged by the wife. And, um, yeah, I'm just a cricket tragic like the rest of you guys. So you'll fit in just fine here. Uh, so we'll get on with it because Glenn, unfortunately, has things to do on the Gold Coast where he's staying. I mean, what do you mean? I don't think there's much going on on the Gold Coast. How could you be that busy that you can't tell a remote for a for a podcast? Surely there's nothing. There's no there's no tourist attractions or anything up there, is there? Yeah, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so for those of you who've been following along for the last few weeks, we have, of course, been doing our 90s countdown, which is the uh, Michael Slater and Steve Waugh are the two most prolific 90-getters in Australian Test cricket history. Uh, Michael Slater famously got dismissed nine times in the 90s, prompting Ian Healy to ask if he managed to get one of each number. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve Waugh has eight dismissals in the 90s, but he also has two not-outs to make him the with the most 90 scores. And we're up to 99, and they've both managed to score one. Tugger was very unlucky. In 1995, it was the 3rd of February at the Wacker against the old enemy, the Poms, uh, Steve managed to get a 99 and was stranded. Yes, well... Not out. Some people would say that maybe that's a little bit of poetic justice. <laughs> um, I'm not of that opinion. I have a great admirer of Steve Waugh. He could have been a little bit better, could have been a little bit better supported during that innings, possibly. Was he done as well, McGrath? Like, was he 99 not out, and McGrath, like, got out? 
Oh, I'm pretty sure it would have been. I think pretty sure McGrath was at 11 for that game. I think our attack was McGrath, Angel, and McDermott. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. So uh, actually, um, it might have been McGrath at 11 because there's no way that Joe Angel would have batted 11 ahead of McGrath. He actually knew which end of the bat to hold. And this is in the early or the mid 90s. So yeah. Uh, no. yeah. Steve Wall hasn't been his batting buddy yet and sort of worked on him. <laughs> Um, and so Slats, Slats also got a 99, uh, one short of adding to uh, his century total. This was in 1993 against New Zealand at the Wacker as well. He got a second innings 99, trying to push for a, a declaration. Uh, both teams put up 400 plus. Uh, the Aussies put on about 300 uh, pretty quickly, one for three or one for 290 something with the runs they had left over. But the game ended up petering out into a draw. We managed to take about five or six wickets in the in the fourth inning. So there was plenty of runs on offer, and Slats one one short, one short of that into that century total. So I, 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 I do a few It'd just be, I reckon that'd be just so gutting. Like, as they say all the time, every time anyone gets out in the 90s, you've got the commentators going, oh, they take like 90 whatever, 99 any day of the week, but they'd have to be upset. Of course they're upset. Um, I was actually mentioning it uh, because Aaron and I work together that, um, you know, slats isn't really considered when... Generally speaking, in those top echelons of Australian Openers, you always do like your Hayden, your Langers, and, and, and those guys. But Michael Slater, he's got a test average 42-ish. And we always, and you know, quite a, an outstanding technique. He's always talked about having a great technique. And for the sake of, if you add maybe 20 runs to his overall run scores for his career, he ends up with another... Six, Six or seven hundreds, yeah. and then we're all of a sudden talking him up there, probably higher than the likes of guys like Justin Langer. When you add his, you know, looking at retrospectively his career, he ends up with 17, 18 test hundreds, and we're suddenly going, this Slater guy's really, really good. Yeah. And really, all he's done is added uh, another 20 runs to his score, which in the big scheme of things is, is not a big deal. But that's the difference between being a sort of an afterthought almost as a test opener. But then you get just enough runs to tick over that uh, that test century count, even though that hasn't really gone on with it to carry on for big hundreds. But we just remember, you know, 15, 18, 19, 25 test hundreds. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so Slats has just missed out for just a handful of runs. And so it's, it's, of course, it's a massive deal when you miss out on that hundred because when it's all said and done, no one remembers the 90s that you get or the 80s that you get. No one goes, oh, that there was, you know, yeah. Seven times that he got dismissed in the eighties, and so but everyone just will look at it and go, "Well, you know, here's Ricky Ponting. He averages fifty-two when he had forty odd Test hundreds or thirty odd Test." You know, no one ever no. backtracks and yeah. things like that. Yeah. The oh, by no sense of my. Uh, 
Well, no sense of I trying to talk Slater down, but he never seems to be, when you're talking about previous test openers, there always seems to be a, a pecking order before you get to him. And then for, for the sake of only a, a handful of runs, he would jump up many spots in that pecking order when you consider it's all of the ninety, the hundreds that he just missed out on. And the thing that... <laughs> yeah. The the thing that a lot of people don't appreciate about Michael Slater as well is that he was he really was a, a cornerstone of that team that became the great team that we remember from the late 90s early 2000s. The way he used to go after the bowling, no fear, didn't care, you know, brilliant short ball player, excellent driver down the ground, wonderful defense but always looking to put the bowler on the back foot. And, I mean, you know, we talk about David Warner and, and guys like that. Slater was doing that 20 years ago and doing it really well. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. He set the tone that attacking, uh, yeah, that attacking. Yeah, the, well, it, it matched the philosophy of what the new order of Border and Simpson wanted to do. They wanted to play aggressive attacking cricket and here you had this guy, you know, jumping out of his skin who, you know, went to England and smacked them all around on his first tour, come out here, did very, very well, you know, took on the might of the West Indies and used to play the pull and the, and the hook shots with no fear against those guys. He was a very courageous and a dynamic player. Well, uh, Matthew Hayden, who is essentially the guy that moved into that spot yeah. to become the long-term full-time opener after Slater, always used to measure himself against Michael Slater. Yeah. He ended up talking about it in a My Cricket Legends interview that if he was um, you know, beating out Michael Slater for a, for a spot in the, in the Australian test side, then he must be one hell of a player because it would take one hell of a player to unseat a guy like Michael Slater. So I do feel that he... Um, he gets a little bit un- underappreciated at times and we maybe ends up sort of being the butt of a few too many jokes. Well, essentially it's what we've based this this trip through the 90s on is his yeah. prolific ability to get 90s. I mean, he's played 76 tests and has one less 90 score than Sachin Tendulkar who played 200. Yeah. But but you're right, he, he set that... And that tone carried all through, not just the David Warner, but like Australia played that aggressive attacking cricket the whole yeah. way down. You had, yeah. you know, you had Hayden had, at the top, yeah. then it was followed by Ponting. It was, um, it was a blueprint that uh, Michael Vaughan even used to unsettle the Aussies because they, they realised that if, if both teams just played at their average... By the end of a day, Australia would be 150 runs ahead just on the sheer fact that they get out there and take the game through the bowlers, whereas England predominantly are players that occupy the crease. And I suppose conditions mean that you you need to have a more resolute defence and, and play that sort of role. But straight off the bat, even if you just do your job as an... Don't, taking out batting collapses or overhead conditions just on average... Australia ended up being 100 runs to the good at the end of a day's play, which is a massive thing, and that's just from playing positive, which, as yeah. you said, was was really sort of popularised by, by Michael yeah. Slater. Yeah, very much so. And, I mean, to have a guy like him at, at the top and setting that, that sort of tone, um, you know, particularly when we're coming out of an era where the West Indies have basically battered the hell out of everybody in world cricket for the last 15 years and nobody was really prepared to take them on. He was prepared to take them on. Yeah. Not a problem. And yeah. did. And that and that sort of set the tone again, I think, for guys like Mark War and people like yes. that to come out, so that yeah. really those aggressive stroke makers that, that 
So for so long, the West Indies had their own way and people were ducking and weaving. Yeah. And I suppose it was timing his... Oh, I suppose not. they played a lot during the 90s when they were still very good, but yes. it was sort of timing his career with their downward trajectory yeah. and it was just sort of like, you know, these guys can be beaten yeah. if you play positive. He was he was the one, the one Royal Australian batsman in my memory who, against the West Indies, when they were on their downward spiral, you always felt if Slater got in, if he got through those first 20 balls, 25 balls, it could be very, very dangerous for these guys because he was not scared to play the horizontal bat shots. And for a long time, the West Indies had stopped people from playing horizontal bat shots in cricket because they would they'd just hit you. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, you know, Patrick Patterson or Colin Croft or Malcolm Marshall or Andy Roberts, they just go, no, you're not doing that to me again. I'm going to break your jaw now. It's like, oh, you got one away. Let's see you do yeah. that for an hour. Try and... this again. I mean, Andy Roberts was a classic example. He had two bounces. He'd bowl you one that you get hit before, and the next one would be about 15 kilometres an hour faster and straight at your throat. <laughs> So, you know, it was, um, to take that on, you know, it was a pretty special guy. I think, was, I think he's a very underrated player. Well, uh, we are going to move on from that. So we hope you enjoyed our trip through the 90s. We'll probably touch on that again, I think, in our next episode. We'll have another little brief revisit. But for now, we're going to get stuck into the... The pink ball test. This was the one that uh, England were stacking the decks for. They strategically arrested Anderson. Uh, they left out broad to keep them fresh for this one. So this has been the game where England were supposed to come and really show Australia what they had. And uh, I'm sure all of the all, all of you listening have uh, have seen either seen the game or seen the aftermath. And you can imagine that's not quite what happened. So we will get stuck into all that right after this. Here we are. We're ready to break down the second test, the pink ball test. And as it is, this was the one that England was supposed to get. And it yielded them a 275-run defeat and just a game where nothing seemed to go right for them. So uh, it begs the question, where do England go for for, for now? Well, from my perspective... Yeah, Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Take the easy way out. I've, I've made the celebrity appearance and spoken. Uh, so everyone's heard my voice, so they're happy now. Right? <laughs> yeah, your, your soothing tones have, have got everyone. They've, they've hooked them into the podcast, and now they're just going to be stuck with the, with the two Aaron's. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's been a wonderful test for Australia. Uh, yeah. Any any poignant thoughts that you want to share just before you leave? I just think that we've been spot on with our pre-analysis of the series. I think uh, exactly what we've said is you know, England has tried, tried to really keep the um, rate, uh, run rate done down and just kind of bore us out, which is going to be their tactic. But I just, we knew that they were just going to get worn down, and, and that's pretty much what happened. Don't you love it when um, cricket at large proves us right? It makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, India didn't... feel like the hours that we've spent watching it has not been wasted. India made us look like absolute numpties last year, and it's just good to see the status quo has been returned for the rest of 2021. The world, like, yeah, it just yeah. it makes me feel good that yeah. we're, we're getting it right. Coming up to Christmas, there's a, there's a, a peace settling over the world that I think is, you know... Very harmonious for all of us Australian cricket fans. All right, Glenn. Well, 
We will let you go. And we'll let you enjoy the uh, enjoy the Gold Coast. Don't uh, do anything I wouldn't do. Uh, have a good one. Merry and we'll Christmas, see. Glenn. All right. Have a good one, Glenn. We will talk to you later on. So, yes, uh, I... I I tend to agree. I think our analysis over the last few games has been has been pretty spot on. We um we mentioned in our last podcast that the Gabba really needed to be an opportunity for England to give us a bloody nose, and they they missed an opportunity there. But they had to pull out all the stops for for Adelaide. This was the this is the game that they expected to do very well. Anderson got a fire for the last time out. Um, you know, making use of that pink ball, which has historically done a lot more in Australia than the red ball has at times. I mean, Australia knocked out India for, for 36 during the day as well. That wasn't even a nighttime session that we did most of that damage. So they were really keen to come in here and uh, and do the damage, and it just it never seemed to get across the line for them, just from from the toss, essentially. Yeah, I, I think um, England have been a victim of paralysis by analysis. Essentially, they've come out here with all these fancy plans that they've been sitting in a in a back room somewhere, at, you know, coming up with over the preceding months, thinking we're going to match up at certain certain bowlers against certain batsmen in certain places. Um, our best strategy is to nominate a couple of tests that we think we can really do well in, um, and we're and we're not going to change those plans. Well, I think. Just from what we've seen so far, they really need to have a bit of a think about that. Their planning has been inaccurate, to say the least. Um, their execution's been poor. Their selections are nothing short of head-scratching. You know, we were talking about this the other day when, um, you know, it, it, before Brisbane, and they left Broad and Anderson out in the greenest wicket in Australia on uh, yeah. the humid conditions it, sh- it would suit. I, I don't think that Anderson will have seen a better deck for bowling than what he would have seen no. at the Gabba. And not only did they not pick them, when Joe Root won the toss, they batted first yeah. with a, a lineup that surely England aren't that self-absorbed that they think that their batting lineup is is solid in Australian conditions. Surely they've got to be thinking most of our batsmen have something to prove. Yeah. And, they've, and then they've subjected them to arguably the best bowling conditions I've seen in Australia. Because let's face it, over the last half decade or more, there have been some pretty ordinary decks that we've trotted out. They've oh, been yeah. flat and lifeless, and it's just yeah. really been some very good bowling, yeah. um, You know, using the extra bounce and hard work that has gotten breakthroughs. There hasn't been much in the way of real sideways movement or swing or anything. And then you get this wicket that looks like it can do everything that you want it to do for your bowlers, like it yeah. suits my bowlers down to the ground. I've got a questionable batting lineup. Maybe want to see a play him into the series a little bit yeah. before I expose them to the to the red-hot Aussies first up. Yeah. Like, you've had no practice games. Like, surely at that point, because the Aussies haven't had much practice games either. It's been lots of weather in Brisbane. Surely my thinking as a captain will be, let's send them in and let them make the mistakes. Exactly. And... And then they've bowled for, and then so we went over that in our last episode. We come to this one, and you know, Australia then wins the toss and, and bats and, first. And, so and bats for two days. Just must have been thinking, what, what have I done wrong? And and it doesn't help. It doesn't help their cause that they are feeling that vulnerability with their batting lineup. 
if you look at if you look at them on paper with the with the bowlers, they have a reasonable bowling attack without being spectacular. You know, there's Mark Wood being the one exception, none of them are going to get over 135 consistently. Um, but they, they're professional, they do a job. Robinson's very impressive. Um, the lack of a spinner, you can't come to Australia with a, a, just a very, very average spin attack. Mark Butcher actually pointed this out during the England-India series that um, for large part portions of the English summer... England never pick a spinner. They always go your your four quicks, and they'll use Mo and Ali to do a job yeah. as. And you know, I know Mo and Ali has nearly two hundred Test wickets, but he's a he's a part timer. He's a good part timer in the yeah. in the big scheme of things. Yes. He's a very good part timer. That's why his average is up around forty. Mm. But then they go and play all these tests, and the spinners never really get a run. And half the time they've got a spinner in the squad, so he's not actually playing any county cricket games. So they've just got a spinner on ice who doesn't get used. And then you bring him out to probably the worst wicket that he could possibly be on in Jack Leach, and he goes and gets oh. towed up. And then when you go to a wicket where historically he's been very good for spin... Um, you don't pick him. You don't pick him. You've just destroyed his confidence for the whole tour by picking him in the wrong conditions and allowing him to be attacked by two red-hot left-handers. I still don't think that Leach was the best choice. I, I still, hand-on-heart, yeah. think that England should have picked Parkinson yeah, as Matt their Parkinson, spinner. Parkinson, the leg spinner. Yeah, um, just a really attacking option. Get the ball turning. We know that Australia, with big turners of the ball, struggle. We've had a history forever of struggling against spin. And if you can get someone who can get some really big turn... Yeah. Um, and you can do that. And but yeah, there's just been so many questionable choices. Uh, I mean, so they um, Australia's got in. They've finally started doing the right thing and attacking around the wicket to um, to David Warner. But we're too short. David Warner let lots of stuff go. They weren't full enough. And that was both Broad. I think Broad was a bit better than Anderson. But both Broad and Anderson were too short. Anderson for for large chunks of. Or really, I don't even remember a point where Anderson looked that threatening, to no, be honest. I thought that, he was very pedestrian yeah, for the whole test. That was that was probably the disappointing thing with Anderson in his entire test, in conditions that they've planned for that this is going to suit. And conditions in the night would have suited him significantly if he had a bowl better. Or well, even when Australia didn't elect to enforce the follow-on, it had no. that that significant period under yeah. the lights. Anderson still didn't yeah, really look that exactly. threatening. He didn't look... To me, he looks like, obviously, short of a gallop. You know, they're, they're short of match practice, but, I mean, that's the same for both teams, He's really. He's played 160-odd tests. I mean, at yeah. some point, you've got to get into your rhythm, I suppose. It's only... Yeah. I think Father Time might just be knocking on the door with Jimmy Anderson. Oh. I think if, the, if they go through this series and cop an absolute hiding, which it looks like they're on the, on the road to, this will probably be the end for him. Oh, I can't imagine that uh, he's going to. He, he couldn't possibly play another tour out here. I, I, oh no, there's no I, chance of him coming back out here. I could see maybe. I, I suppose because English conditions suit him into the ground, and he's a very fit man. I can see him being one of those horses for courses type players. He might stretch his career out as a bit of a home track specialist yeah, for a few look, years. Nah, I. But um, there's got to be. There's surely. In the in the bowels of English cricket somewhere, there's got to be, you know, some who was who was the next James Anderson? They keep producing these 135 k an hour top, you know, medium pace seamers who 
hit, you know, are trying to hit a back of a length and, and stop you from scoring runs. That doesn't work in Australia. It doesn't work in a lot of places, no. to be honest. Here's an interesting stat for you. So the attack of James Anderson, Stuart Broad and Chris Wokes in the 2017 first innings of Adelaide bowled 88 overs for 20 maidens, 230 runs for four. So after going through all that, four years' worth of planning, coming back, you'd imagine more experienced, more seasoned bowlers. James Anderson, Stuart Broad and Chris Wokes in the first innings of Adelaide this tour, 78.4 overs, 22 maidens, 234 for four. So they went for more runs um, in less overs for yeah. the same amount of wickets. Mm-hmm. So it's just what 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 was what have they done? Like I know that they we've talked about in previous podcasts that their overall plan has been hamstrung by injuries to guys like Joffre Archer and Ollie Stone. Yeah. Uh, but surely it can't and they've talked about Chris Silverwood talked about how the plan was to pick a battery of fast bowls and really go after the Aussies. Injuries have happened. What plan B surely can't be, well, let's try what didn't work last tour. Maybe the Aussies will fall for it this time. It just seems to be... I always smile when you say that to me. We're talking about this today, and it's like, it, it's almost, you're absolutely right. It's like plan B is the same old, same old stuff that we did four years ago that failed miserably. And there's just such an ineptness and yeah. not willingness to own up to things. Like Joe Root came out, and said things like, uh, to be honest, we've probably bowled a bit too short, we need to be fuller, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and Ponting came out and really called him out and said, you're the captain. You need to put a stop to this. Look. You know, you've got, you picked five quicks for that game. If Anderson and Broad are spending, I, I think the way you put it, if you're bowling, you know, 40, 50 balls in your opening spell and the opening batsmen have left... 25 of them. 25 or half of them, then you're not bowling well enough under the conditions. As a captain, you need to either pull them aside and go, I don't give a shit if you two have got nearly 1,200 test wickets between you. You're not doing the job. Pitch it up or I'm bringing on uh, Wokes and and Robinson. Um, Robinson, I found, was probably the one guy that really adjusted. Like I think he started too short initially, but he found his length quicker than these guys. And And his natural length. From what I've seen of him over over in England and everything, his natural length is half a yard fuller than those two anyway. Mm. Okay, um, he may at times float the ball up a little bit, you know, which on Australia, in Australian conditions isn't ideal because you really want to be using your advantages that you have. And he's a very tall man, he you know has a very high release point and does hit the same pretty regularly. So he he's been quite impressive, I think, of of all of them. But why is it that the least experienced bowler of the four is the one who's leading the way? Yeah, Broad and Anderson have been on so many tours, and I suppose this is the thing that we, Glenn and I, have spoken about previously, is England are, are trotting them out, expecting them to do wonderful things, but at no point have they ever done wonderful things. No. But you would still expect guys like this, it's like, all right, you're coming out to Australia, this is where they've obviously thought of it, we've heard them thinking about we need to do things differently. So you would expect then, okay, so plan A didn't pan out. We couldn't bring our big, fast pace battery. So we're, we're stuck with the old guard. But the old guard last time didn't really work. So how can we get the old guard to be more efficient? And it doesn't look like for all into And even at the Gabba, they were too short. Like, they've just... They don't seem to understand the Australian length. And the, traditionally, the, the best 
bowlers. I mean, look at the lengths that Boomer bowled last year when he was bowling, and and Shammy went before he got injured, and those guys. They consistently make the batsman play, and they beat the bat. Well, I would be really concerned if I was England at the moment because India's bowlers consistently troubled our top order. Yes. And by the back end of that series, India's bowlers were their second and third string bowlers, and you've got probably your best seam attack here. And I I know a lot of them are probably, you know, they've got a bit extra pace on the English quicks, but these guys guys are, are, they've got plenty of experience, they've got plenty of talent, they belong as test cricketers. And in the space of 12 months with no real cricket under our belt, our top order has gone from being consistently troubled by the Indians to making some of England's best look incredibly pedestrian. And, and it's just simply coming down to England aren't willing to do the work and bowl the lengths they need to bowl. Stuart Broad came out, you actually informed me of this, no. defending um, uh, Joe Roots, yeah. saying the plan was to be back of a length and work into it because we didn't want to give Australia too many drive balls or yeah. half volleys. Yeah, we wanted to dry the runs up and then we'd adjust our lengths upwards to try and tempt them. But, I mean, that is, in the conditions that you have in Adelaide, and particularly like of a night time, you're getting the ball up four and a half metres away from that batsman. That's where you're bowling all the time. Let him drive. Let him drive. Hey, That's what you want to do. But it doesn't seem to be any... You've surely got to use the new ball while it's going to do stuff. So yeah. if you bowl the first three or four over, or you know, two overs each, and you're really full, and you're looking up and you're, you're none for 24 or four, and you can go, well, all right, and they've, you know, they've smacked yeah. you three or four times through the covers and they've driven you back over your head, you can then pull it back. But if you're going to sit back at back of a length and let them leave the ball until it softens up a bit, you know who's to say that Marcus Harris, who's under a bit of pressure, David Warner, who's got nightmares of Stuart Broad going around the wicket and pitching it up to him, don't try, oh, all right, it's full, it's in Australia, I'm going to really turn the, turn the screws on Stuart Broad and really try to bat him off his length. Mm-hmm. Does it nick one of those to the five slips that you've got ready to go? Exactly. And if you do that early on, okay, okay, it costs you a bit of pain, but what's 20... 20 run, 20, 30 runs in, in, o, o, in the beginning yeah. of a test match is exactly. nothing. it's nothing. Two, two for 10 at the beginning of a test match is, is amazing. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. it's just, it, it just smacks of being too timid, too defensive, too wait and see. Yeah. And England have been doing that forever against Australia. The only time they've really been successful was when Michael Vaughan came out and said, Enough the most of this Australian to, English captain that I've ever seen. Pick blokes to take the fight to the Aussies. Yeah. And then in 10-11 when it worked, they had guys like Kevin Peterson who never backed down from anybody. Jonathan Trott, who was really the strong. Powers, yeah. And then guys like Chris Tremlett, who were, again, attacking the Aussies yeah. back big, of the fast, Big, fast, strong, fast bowlers. Pitching the ball up and bowling the five-metre length, not the six-metre length. And what he, like he, I don't know what the statistics were for him in that series, but he, every time he picked the ball up, looked absolutely menacing. I remember watching him going, this guy is going to cut through us. He's yeah. just, every time he had a spell, looked damaging. Yeah. People talk about Graham Swan having a big series. Even that big series, he was averaging nearly 40. The guy that really turned the screws for the Aussies was, well, obviously Alistair Cook because we couldn't get him out. Yeah. But Chris Tremlett was a guy at the other end that was really making life hard in that 10-11 series. And it's just, I don't get how you can come and do... What's this? This is their third tour since. Yeah. And they're getting further and further away from that blueprint, which was that 05 Ashes team. Yeah. And they're getting further and further and further away from it and wondering why 
Like it's been it's been four thousand days. Oh no, it's extraordinary. Number, since England have won a test match in Australia. Four thousand days since they've won a test match. Yeah. They have won four test matches since the in this millennium. And people talk about Australia's struggles over in England. Like, nothing, nothing absolutely like that. nothing compared to that. Like we, we win a test pretty much every time we go over there. Even in the series that we've lost over there, we've won one test match and been in the in the ballpark for others. Hmm. England don't look like being in the ballpark to win a test match here. Yeah, like early on, all the news coming out of this is this is the most vulnerable Australia's ever been. This is a really big chance for England to stand up and and uh, really get, win another series over on Australian soil. And in the in the space of nine days, it's now gone from this is the best chance England have got to upset the Aussies. Yeah. Like Aussies are still the favourites, but England are right there nipping at their heels to how do England win a test from here? They've gone from oh, you can do this, you can do this, play hard and you can win this series to you're looking at another 5-0 series. Yeah. And, it, and it's, just, it's just staggering because they've, they've created chances and it's been, um, you know, Joss Butler, uh, talking of chances, a segue into that. What a, what a game he had. Takes an absolute screamer down leg side to dismiss Marcus Harris. Drops two absolute sitters of Marnus Labuschagne on the way to 100. The second Labuschagne one was... Is as unforgivable as you can see from a, a top class wicket keeper. He didn't move his feet, he's, and he was always reaching for the ball when it should have just been a nice, simple move your feet across, pouch the ball on the inside, and and Labuschagne's walking off, and that changes the point of the game. Labuschagne doesn't come out the next morning. No. And then from there, goes and takes another screen once they get rid of Marcus Harris. No. The very next ball, over like overreaches a, a one from. Steve Smith and ends up getting it on the palm of his hand, drops that, and you're like, oh, my God. It comes out, nicks off second or third ball, but no one goes for it. Bats for 200-odd deliveries and then kicks over his own stumps. Yeah. Just what a staggering <laughs> test match that Josh Butler had. Uh, clearly he, um, he upset the cricketing gods in some way, shape, or form because that was just the cruelest of cruel, I would have thought. It did bring a smile to my face. I must admit, I do enjoy seeing an Englishman suffer. But um, yeah, uh, I, look, I always felt that with the way he was playing in that innings, he was vulnerable. He was getting vulnerable. You know, his insistence on playing everything off the back foot, the same way that Stokes did against Lyon. Eventually, that's going to bring you downfall. Okay, and I think that when you're playing like that, when you're not using your your feet both ways, you get into that habit of all your weight's always going backwards. You know, even subconsciously, you're defending everything off the back foot or from the crease. So when he was forced back into his crease, he was probably disoriented to where he actually his feet actually were. Mm. And that's a, that, I think, personally, that's a, a side effect of the way that he approached the innings, where he wouldn't, you know, I didn't see him come down the tractor line. I do think it's been overall a positive series for Butler with the bat. He came out in the first innings at the Gabba and batted positively yeah. and was the only guy that looked like troubling the Aussies. And then he's now survived for 200 balls. So he knows that his technique will, will hold up yeah. in Australia. And they were, like, they were gunning for him. Like, he got lucky with a nick. But you know, how many people can say they've gone through their whole career and not had a bit of luck? So, uh, yeah, of course. Um, so hopefully he'll come out of that and go, all right, I'm a good enough batsman 
to survive here and then just work on that foundation of defence because that defence can buy him 200 balls. So if he goes from there and then he can then counter punch because England desperately need him. Yeah. But I suppose we spent a little bit of time talking about the Aussies. I mean, there's not a lot to criticise them for, but we should go and talk about any shortcomings from there. So obviously the first one with Marcus Harris. Yeah. He's a guy that's... Uh, been under a bit of fire, but looks like from the announcement of the Australian squad, there has only been one change, which they've added Scott Boland to the squad. So they haven't added anyone like Bryce Street or Henry Hunt. So it looks like that Harris is going to get a another go at the MCG. What did you make of Harris's game? Um, again, he looks very. He looks like the uh, deer in the headlights, basically. Every time he goes out to face the ball, um, he still looks to me. Even though his leaving was a little bit better than what it had been in previous years, he still looks vulnerable in that spot, just outside off stunt wear, because he does like to hit that ball uppishly through point, which I'm sorry, but if you keep getting out in the same way, or, you know, like, and I've seen him caught down the leg side a couple of times the same way he was caught. Well, admittedly, it's a great catch by Butler, but if he doesn't glove it down there, there's no catch for Butler to take. Mm. You know, it was a ball that, uh, you know, what would a Wisman Kamaja have done to that ball in form? I reckon that ball, Kamaja, disappears behind backward square leg for four or six. So he lacks confidence. Where do, where, where do you go with somebody like that who has had numerous opportunities, Okay, I mean, we've all been critical at times of players like Sean Marsh for how many opportunities they've had. Sean Marsh averages 12 runs and innings higher than what Marcus Harris does Mm -hmm. and has opened the batting in Test cricket. Very successfully, by the way. So I think Harris is on his last legs. Mm. He's got to make a substantial score for mine to get carried into the the subcontinent tours. I do feel for, for Marcus Harris because I don't think he did a lot wrong in this, like, yeah, there was a leg slip or leg gully for that and, you know, probably should, early that early in the innings, maybe just step inside that one and let it fly down the leg side. Yeah, or be positive with it and try and hit it. it. The problem with, technically, with that shot was that he was, all of his weights falling across to the offside. There's only one place that ball's going to go where even if he hits it, and that's behind square and, and quite fine. That's just how it was going to end up. Mm. So there's a little little bit of a technique thing there as well. And, you know, bowlers, you know... They're, they're pretty smart, the, they, They're pretty smart, mate. They remember how they got you out and guarantee you they're going to try and get you out there again. Absolutely. And the troubling thing about it, like, so the second innings one was a crackerjack ball to get him. I mean, that's yes, what they're... That's true. So you, you, you kind of... You, don't put that in the in the portfolio of failure, I don't think. No, and he was looking solid under the night session there, and so, and so he would be really spewing that he came out early day, you know, I've got through the night session, I've seen off Anderson and Brawl with a new ball, I'm on 20-odd, feeling good, it's going to be hot and sunny, um, there's no pressure because we're 200 runs in front, I can really just get out and, and make a dig of it, and, and, and it didn't go his way. But I feel for him because that first innings dismissal was just a bit of a yuck dismissal. I mean, it yeah. could happen to someone in form or out of form. And when you're out of form and oh, ev- yeah. everyone is squawking about how can you keep picking this guy and then all of a sudden you just strangle this rubbish ball down the leg side, it's just got to make you feel absolutely tiny because you yeah. just know that, you know, I gave my wicket up there. Yeah. It wasn't a good ball that got me. Uh, it, you know, I just it was so unlucky. 
and then you go out and get that again and you're thinking, man, even if I was creaming, I'm probably still getting out to that ball. And now everywhere I look on social media is going to be, well, I can, you can't pick Marcus Harris, you can't pick Marcus. So it's got to be messy. He's going to be desperate to get a good first first inning score on Boxing Day and maybe just quiet some of those guys. But even more so, you know, I commend Justin Langer for saying that Marcus Harris has got the series. I wonder how strong his convictions would be if it was one all yes. or one nil yeah. or even two nil the other way. Would Marcus Harris still have the series? And I think that's the dangerous when you talk about giving Mar- somebody the, the series. series yeah. You know, it really should be on their merits, not the merits of the team. If Marcus Harris isn't good enough to be there when we're losing, then he shouldn't be good enough to be there when we're winning. Yeah. And he doesn't have runs in the bank to go, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, Taylor going through a bit of a form slump. We know that Taylor at his, at his best is a, a genuine world-class test opener, you know, yeah. and he finally got back there. But Harris hasn't had anything to do with that. So, no. Um, um, yeah, too many innings is not enough. Not enough. I don't know. What's, I'm not sure what the word would there's be. No, there's, there's no there's substance. No, yeah, there's no. Yeah, you don't really feel like he's there for the long haul. Well, Even you know, like when I watch him, I don't feel like this is a guy that is about to score a lot of runs. Yeah. Every time I watch you him, I'm like this guy gonna... could. This this guy could get out next ball every yeah. ball. Yeah, Whereas... exactly. That's not, and it's not really the sort of feeling that you want to have with your openers. And. Um, Look, I'm quite, a, I'm quite a fan of young Henry Hunt. I would have loved to have seen him maybe get, get a Guernsey earlier this year because I do like the left-hand, right-hand combination. Um, I was actually doing a bit of homework before I come on. Oh, my and, God, um, someone here does homework. Yes. <laughs> we'll I have to keep I'm, you. Yeah, trying to make a good impression on my first visit. And, um, yeah, Henry Hunt's record is very impressive. Yeah, okay. for, a, for a very young man. For and... a very young man who has come... And like I've seen, I've seen a little bit of him in, like obviously on KO with the Sheffield Shield and stuff. He looks rock solid. He looks rock solid as an opener, and that's what I like. But guys like Warner come along once in a generation. You know, Warner, Saywag, you know, guys like that who, mm. who their natural instinct is to just go out and absolutely thrash you from the first ball. Warner obviously has, has mellowed that over the years, but I mean, Saywag never did. They're once in a generation players. I like to see an opening batsman who has a good defence, leaves the ball well, and if you're bowling short, bad balls, he puts you away. Other thing I like about him as well is when he has dug in and done the hard work to see off the new ball, very often he turns it into a yes. into a significant score, be it, uh, you know... A, a high hunt, a high fifty, or a converting yes. into a hundred. He's got his, his conversion rate actually in Sheffield Shield isn't too bad for such a young fella, and I think it'll only get better with time because he really needs to. I think to push his case, he really needs to, know to go out and have a, a thousand run season. Okay, if you go out and you make a thousand, I mean, once upon a time that was the benchmark to get into mm. the Australian Test team. How many ma- thousand run seasons did Matthew Hayden have? Oh, like eight or nine. Or yeah, something, it's just you? something ridiculous in a row. Where you know you just you're not knocking on the door, you're hitting it with a steamroller. Um, that seems to not be so much the case. These well, days. at the at the moment, what I think there was one, maybe two thousand run players that scored a thousand runs last year. I think two years ago there weren't any. I think the yeah. leading run scorer had like eight hundred. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, obviously the, the batting has dropped off. I can see we're now guys like. Uh, 
Henry Hunt and Bryce Street, and, and probably Usman Khawaja himself, would be absolutely kicking themselves the big bashes on right now. They would yeah. love to be out there scoring runs for their state yeah. in the whites, going, I am right here. Yeah. Look, and then so, because the other, the flip side of that is you're going to get through all this. I know, I know by the time that the, the selection for the, um, the tour to the subcontinent will be around, they'll have time to finish the season. But, like, you know, especially guys like Street and Hunt who are young, who are coming off a, a big glut of runs. Even yeah. Tim Ward is another one who's turned the corner in Tasmania and scored yeah. a, a stack of runs. Yeah. They'd love to just, just keep that train rolling so they yeah. can go, all right, you've come out and said Harris has got the whole series. And if Harris is going to keep going like this, they surely can't pick him. And yeah. you've just got like four solid months worth of yeah. great shield scores to go, I am ready to go overseas, pick me. Yeah. Uh, as it is, they're going to have to go and readjust and, and get out of the, the Big Bash game and back into... I don't think too many of them are playing Big Bash, but they're, no, they're not playing... Those younger fellas I've, I've noticed, they're not in any of the Big Bash squads. And I kind of like that, actually. I like to see... The Big Bash is entertainment. Okay, that's fine. We all love having a, you know, like you see some fabulous games in these 2020 games and stuff like that. But when we're talking about the development of our next test openers, I really want to see those guys playing 12 Sheffield Shield games a year. You know, a solid block where you, you go out and you make, you know, 200s and, and four or five 50s as a pass mark for you. Okay, in that situation. They don't have that these days. You this little block, like we're la- they were lucky this year where they decided to schedule a few more games before the, the start of the test series. Mm, because and that's only because we had yeah. the Afghanistan test pulled off as well. Exactly. So, so if, you, if, if they didn't have... It's just totally disrupting, and I think it's hampering the development of some of those younger guys, particularly the batsmen. The bowlers adapt a lot easier than what batsmen do. Greg Chappell came up with one that we, we highlighted on the podcast uh, a few months ago where he floated the idea of starting a Shield season right up north, so far north Queensland, Darwin, uh, you know, northern, probably Western Australia, I don't really think is really going to be an issue anywhere, but yeah. like really where the climates are still good enough for cricket even in sort of yeah, late, yeah, winter late winter yeah. or early spring and then play all of your Shield before December. Yeah. So you can just get, bang, like a full shield season in leading up to the test series so you can have a really good hard look at everybody. You then pick your, your test side based off what you've seen in the shield summer and then you have your, your big bash because we, we talk about it all the time. We groan about how it disrupts the shield season, but it will never move. No, it's the not big going bash anywhere. is ingrained in that yeah. holiday period. It will not move. Yeah. So you need to f- structure things around it. Um, and then they were talking about uh, doing the one-day cup afterwards because typically after the test series, we'll have a one-day tournament against various sides so yeah. you can then have your one-day cup playing. And at the same time, he would like Australia to schedule uh, Australia A games because that he felt that that's why India were so strong against us last year. Oh, because I think very good, that's actually a very valid point. The India A team, if you have a look at it, all of those guys are, are proven first-class cricketers in India. I mean... Well, um, we we talk about first class systems and you know how you how you bring your, your players through. India do it better than anybody. Well, Siraj has something close to since two thousand and seventeen, close to a hundred India A wickets yeah. across a, over a dozen games across yeah. across the globe, not just in India, South Africa, England, Australia. Um, places like that. Uh, Shubman Gill, who was a player that debuted yeah. and did very well against Australia, he's yeah. got two 
overseas India A double hundreds. Yeah. And I think uh, and I think Greg Chappell's onto a point there that getting these players playing more into almost international standard cricket yeah. would be the best way to go. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to see. I, I'm with you. I think Henry Hunt is probably for me would be the next guy in out of that young brigade. Uh, a lot of people talk about Bryce Street. For mine, I don't think he scores his runs quite no, quickly enough. Until he needs to be a little bit more penetrative as a batsman. Okay, he's too much in the mould of the of the Burns, Hamid, sort of thing. We've better we've a better technique with both of those guys, I might add. But um, if you're going to be sitting there just yeah. absorbing balls, he's 34, 34.5 or something. I think his strike rate is mm. in, in first and class that's cricket. In first class, not yeah. even tests. So yeah, that's a... that's pretty low, really. I mean, young young hunts up around the 45, 46 mark, which, which I is think it, passable. It, yeah. I think that you don't need to be brisk, but I do think you need to find a way to get off strike because I think that yeah. that tended to be uh, Renshaw's issue when he was really struggling after he got dropped from the test side yeah. as an opener was that he was occupying the crease for you know 40, 50, 40, 50, 60 balls for not many runs and he'd just eventually get one with his name on it. So he'd be out for 19 off, off 80, 80 balls, balls, balls or... Yeah. Six of forty-five, and it's like we've been there for such a long time, and you just haven't put any pressure back on the yeah. bowlers, and you finally got it. So I think Street's going to be a fantastic player, but I do think that's something he needs to work on over the next sort of, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. Is how do I score my runs just a bit quick? Don't have to be David Warner, but well, yeah. actually Matt Renshaw's good. I think uh, Renshaw is a wonderful template for that type of thing because you look at him now, and he's like I, re- I, I remember his, his Test century, like it's in here. And he'd been very impressive in the, the test before that. But you did wonder where the, the, the runs were going to come from if they didn't bowl on his pads or give him cut shots. Mm. Okay, you look at him now playing first-class cricket, playing in the one-day cups and the and the big bash, he's got an all-round game now. He just he scored a very, very good um, Marsh Cup 100 not long ago. So he's yeah. certainly... I think for, for mine moving forward, the next test opener that I would pick Moving forward would be Renshaw yeah. for for a long term thing. Out of the out of the the young brigade of actual openers, yeah. I would be Hunt. So I think yeah. Renshaw or Hunt should be guys there that really concentrate. Renshaw's only twenty five, hmm. so he's still young as well. So you can still get a, an eight ten year career out of him. If do you do you think that if you're looking that way, but as a national selector, you go to the Queensland selectors, the first class people who, who pay his wages, and say, look, we want you to play him as an opener. I I would like to say you should do that, but I think for Queensland, Renshaw was really struggling as an opener. You've got uh, Burns and Street there, so it means that yes, I don't think he should get involved. I think that if Australia thinks that he's going to be an opener for them, that he's got the technique and he's scoring runs, whether it be an opener or four or five, I mean, they were more than happy to push for Kawaja to be an opener, and he's batting at four for Queensland. So yeah, um, uh, I would like. I'd like his form as an opener is just stunning, but really, isn't it? When you think about it, was it ninety from seven innings or mm. something like that? That is, um, that's some serious numbers on a good on a reasonable sample size as well. It's been a while since he has batted as an opener, which has always been my caveat to that statistic. So, in answer to your question, I personally would like to see him open the batting, but I don't think Cricket Australia should force Queensland's hands. No. Well, it used to be once upon a time that was the done thing, mm. you know, before we went really professional. I wouldn't mind seeing Cricket Australia going to Matt Renshaw and saying, We, we want, want to you. pick you as an opener. 
but we want you to open the batting and then have Renshaw go take charge of his own development and go, I really want to try and force my select, you know, try to get my hat back in the ring to play um, for Australia. They see me as a potential opener. What are the chances that I can um, open the batting yeah. and, and, and have that back and forth? With, I, I'd, so I think that you know, they should be at some point uh, independent entities to a point whereas Queensland should be looking after making a competitive Queensland side. Yes. Well, so, obviously and, that's always going to be in their best interest. So rather than putting a guy that might not be the best opener as an opener because Australia has, oh, he might be good one day, it should be Renshaw, we want you to open, and quick, goes quicker Queensland and goes, well, you need to prove to us that you're the best opener to get this gig rather than we're going to hand it to you. For Australia to pick you, so if he goes and says, "Renshaw, we want you to be an opener for Australia one day," and then Renshaw then goes to his coach and goes, "Coach, I want to open for Queensland so that I can potentially open for Australia. What do you want me to do?" Because at the moment, his coach is coaching him to yeah. score runs at five. Yeah, and so if he goes, "Well, at the moment we got Joe and, and Bryce doing a good job. If you want to open, then we need you to work on da 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 da." And then he goes and does that and forces his way yeah. as an opener into his state side, and then he can make that. But there's no point. I think there's too much handing of things. Like Lloyd Pope is a great example. I think yeah. Lloyd Pope is handed a lot because he's a young leggy. Yeah. I don't think Lloyd Pope is necessarily first-class standard, but we pick, if Lloyd Pope was 31, yeah. he wouldn't play for South Australia at all. No. But because he's 21, we keep sort of handing him starts, hoping that he'll eventually come good, rather than just sending him to South Australian Premier League cricket and go, go take a... Shitload of wickets yeah. there. It's just you're young enough. Let's blood you. And I think that's a you've got to find a balance between blooding young players and also making them earn their spot. Yeah. Look, I think he's been a victim of um, very um, unrealistic expectations. To be quite honest. Well, he took that absolutely massive haul in the Under 19s World Cup, and from that he's been dubbed as the you know a potential Test player. And it's yeah. like he hasn't even played against grown men yet, guys. Yeah. That's and he struggled. I've seen him. I've watched him considerably on. Um, the Sheffield Shield, and he doesn't look first-class standard. He bowls too many four balls, mate. Mm. There's just too many four balls. Was it? If, if, he was, if he was 29 to 31, he wouldn't get a game in the Shield side for South Australia at all. No. It's purely because he's that young, like, well, maybe he'll come good, and I just think that's... No. that's So that's why I think it's dangerous for Australia, because Australia's got its own interests. Australia, the Australian cricket team wants to, to develop players yeah. to do a job for them, whereas that might not be the best thing for... The states, and I think if the states are developing an ultra-competitive environment that you need to be at your best to even play for our team and doing a job, it's then going to make them better cricketers rather than just handing Renshaw the opener spot as an audition. Yeah. If you want the opener spot for Australia, you yeah. first need to earn it for Queensland, and then we'll talk about you earning it for... So then he's got to go and beat Bryce or beat Joe Root at their own game to get yeah. to there. And then that'll steal him for more representative ones. Yeah, but that's, um, that's that's a very good point. But I think expediency is a key word in yes, selection true. these days. And um, manuf- manufacturing players to try and fill a role, I don't always think is a successful way to go. You you, you stifle their development. I think that um, that. In Renshaw's case, he's got the skills already that he can... He, he's already been an opener. He knows what to do. I don't think there would be... If he was batting at four and making runs and his defence at... Oh, sorry, batting at five, 
making runs and there were no obviously def- deficiencies in his you know defensive game and leaving the ball, I don't see a reason why you can't transplant him from five and pick him as an opener. We're talking about doing that for Kawaja anyway, like I said. Yeah. Um, but in general, I don't think Australia should force states' hands. I think it should be more of a dialogue with the player. The player then has that dialogue with the coach and then they can then work out what skills they need to work on to, to um, play in those roles. Yeah. Uh, so moving back to the to the Adelaide test a bit, I suppose it would be very remissive as we didn't talk about that this is uh, Steve Smith's uh, return to the, the, big, the big gig captaincy. Yeah. Cummins ruled out after a, a COVID scare. How do you think um, Smudge went in his return to the, to the hot seat? Um, it looked like he'd never been away, didn't it? He, I mean, he just has that authority with the players as well. He, he, he sense that he has that that sense of that, that place of leadership amongst the group anyway, regardless of who's got the C beside their name. Um, I thought I thought he, he did magnificently. He, he, everything he tried basically come off. Mm. Um, he's that, daring. I like yeah, it. Well, he's an Australian cricket captain. This is how we expect our cricket captains to behave. You know, like I don't understand what the mentality is of, of, of the English cricket captain, but how can you only have one really attacking a successful captain. And I mean, we're talking in my lifetime. I'm really, you know, I'm considerably older than you. And I remember, you know, the the best captain I've seen from England was Vaughan. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And he even admits he, he was toughened up by guys like Darren Lehman and Michael Bevan, who were the Yorkshire overseas players at the time. And they, and Stuart Law, um, tough Australian professionals who played cricket the Australian way. And he learned his lessons, but nobody else seems to have picked it up. It just it just surprises me so much that that 2005 team, which was largely built on playing an Australian brand of cricket, as yes. Vaughan said, really set England up for that sort of back end of the 2000 success when they were sort of jostling yeah. for first, second of the uh, test-ranked teams in the world that, you know, Strauss, Cook, Peterson, Trot, yeah. uh, Young Joe Root, Ian yeah. Bell, um, Pryor sort of all, team. All of it, it's a very, very good team, but all of those players, except besides, I'd say, Alastair Cook, were naturally attacking players. Mm. But that blueprint, which worked so well, really after that iteration, it's just gone back to this, regular programming yeah. pre-2005. They've yeah. just... as. Um, uh, Bumble said they've just got dibbly-dobbly bowlers, blockers, and, and people with weird techniques. And, yeah, and guys who can't spin the ball. Yeah. Sh- short spinners and, and, and dodgy medium paces. So it just... Yeah, the, like, like, they call it lightning in a bottle, and you'd think that you'd just be trying, how do we replicate this? And there just doesn't seem to be that... Like, they do it for their one-day international sides. Their one-day international side is built on aggression and going after the bowlers, and you know, you've got an anchor in Joe Root, and everyone else just throws a bat at it, but they just don't have that same sort of... No, I think a lot of that comes, too, from the, the leadership of Owen Morgan mm. as well in the one-day teams, where he's, he's moulded those teams in his image. They, they play the cricket that Owen Morgan wants to play. So it took an Irishman to get English cricket yeah, to play it properly. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? But, yeah, you look at... I mean, he he was certainly, if you're talking about international cricket captains in, in any um, format, he would certainly be at the top, you know, right up at the top of the list of, of any discussions because what they've achieved under him and the way that they've achieved it has been quite stunning. But it's interesting that you take... 
that some of those same guys out of that one day team that play in that particular way, and you throw them into the test team, and they don't play that way. And why is that? Yeah, like uh, Denley is a naturally track, uh, attacking batsman who never really sort of showed that flair. Butler has shown glimpses here and there, yeah. but uh, you know, know, guys, like, guys like Bearstow. I mean, where do you go? Where, you, where do you go with a guy like Johnny Bearstow, who is an absolute world beater in one day cricket? You know, Jason Roy. You know, they've, they've tried all these guys. You know, Jason Roy was an abject failure, but Bearstow has an okay Test record, but. He's an underachiever at test level as well. It is a, it is a bit of a, an enigma because England aren't the only side that does that. Michael Bevan and Aaron Finch and people like that have dominated for Australia in one-day international cricket and never really managed to make... I suppose Bevan was a little different. He dominated first-class cricket, um, whereas Butler and Bairstow and these guys haven't dominated first-class. Yeah. And Finch is another one who didn't really dominate first-class. But they're just... For essentially what... What they do in one day, Martin Guptill is another one as well from yes. New Zealand. He's a player that looks like he should be able, he should take to test cricket. Like if, there's nothing really fancy about Guptill's game. It's stand tall, hit the ball hard along the ground, all classical cricket shots. Same and, with and Finch has, has quite a good technique as well, Martin mm. Guptill. When you look at him as a, just a, from a technique point of view, he's very solid and a beautiful hitter of the ball. And just there, yeah, the planning, the transition from short form to long form. You wouldn't think you'd need to do too much different, and it just it doesn't seem to work out. No. All right, so uh, you've now been hired. They've fired Krista, uh, the selector from England. You're in charge of England now. What do you do for the What do you do for Boxing Day? You're, how do you get England back into the series? Um, I'm seriously having a very stiff scotch before I take the job on. <laughs> um, look, I think I really think there needs to be a rejig of. of of the attitude, it's the attitude to me that, you know, are we talking about, if we're going to talk about the way that England play, that comes from the captain. It does. The captain leads the way and he he sets the tone. And Ricky Ponting said it beautifully in, in one of the article the other day. He said, well, if you can't get them to bowl the length you want them to bowl, why are you the captain? You know, what's going on here? So I think they really need to have a look at Weber. And it's not going to happen now, but certainly whether Joe Root's the right man to lead this team going forward. Because I think he's unimaginative, um, he's negative, and he's, he's ingrained in that English pattern of play that just doesn't work here. We knew that, we were talking about this six months ago, weren't we? No. We've had a, numerous conversations about this. And... It's been wonderful for you guys on Two Slips in the Gully to be like the soothsayers of cricket <laughs> and all your predictions are coming right. Um, but it, it wasn't that hard to see, was it? I, the only thing I can really... If I'm Chris Silverwood and I'm saying, right, the first bowler I'm picking is Mark Wood and the second bowler I'm going to pick is Ollie Robinson. I'm going to go and I'm not sure if he's here. Matt Parkinson's actually on the tour. He, they've sent him home. He's gone home from the Lions tour. Well, that, I mean, you know, so you've got one. Your spinners, if you're going to, if you're, yeah, you're going to play I, by the rules, your spinners are Leach and Bess. Well, I, I don't think you can confront Leach with what happened to him again. You know, that will be the end of his test career. I don't think he's up to it. 
I don't think the Melbourne wicket will suit him. Um, Bess, look, Bess has proved to be a bit of a wicket taker. You know, even though he's had his, his ups and downs, he is he is a wicket taking bowler. And there will be a stack of left handers for him to, yeah. to play. So against I'd be I'd be more inclined if I'm going to play the spinner, I'm bringing Bess into the squad. And he okay. he's reasonably handy with the bat at points um, as well. Yeah, and look, we were talking about this, and you made a really, a really good point and at um, earlier today that I'd be picking Ben Folks and playing Joss Butler as a number five. I don't think Folks is on the tour either. Ben Folks, isn't he? I don't think so. No, I think he is. Is he? Well, if he's here, then yeah. Yeah. I, I would pick, he's an excellent wicketkeeper. He's a solid bat. He seems to be a competitor as well, which is what you want from your wicketkeepers. Um, I personally would be dropping Rory Burns for Zach Crawley. So you'd go Burns, not Hamid? Uh, yeah, Burns goes. I, I can't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hamid, to me, he... You know what you're going to get with him, and you can kind of build an innings around him. You just don't know what you're going to get with Burns anymore. Funny enough, I've got to give my mum a bit of a shout out here. How are you going, mum? I hope you're listening. She Hello, actually, Mrs. Doherty. She actually messaged me. I oh, know she rang me. She rang me the other day while uh, one of uh, uh, Burns's brief stays at the crease, and she rang me and said, "What is wrong with this Burns fella?" His batting is all, he looks weird. And I should point out that um, I don't get my passion for cricket from my mother. For her to be watching test cricket, and this is this is a big step for her. She's not, she's not a cricket savant. Like, it, it all would look largely the same to her. And for her to notice that this guy looks weird, um, it just made me laugh. And then she said something that just, I, I think the phone call was, then stopped for about five minutes while I composed myself. <laughs> said the way that he stands there waiting for the ball, he looks like the Pixar lamp after he crushes the eye and it pans <laughs> up and looks at the camera. Like he jumps on the eye and it squashes and then he turns his, well, his head or the, the top of the lamp and looks at the audience. The way he stands there, he looks like that. And I sat there and looked at it and watched Laurie Burns yeah. set up and I'm like, oh my God, he does. <laughs> he looks like the Pixar lamp. So, um, yeah, so my mum even uh, yeah. <laughs> pointed out that Burns yeah. is... I, I think Laurie Burns, you can't, you just can't. It's sad to say, but guys like Laurie Burns and Dom Sibley are an indictment on the English first-class system. So, um... He's Just checking while we were talking then, they did not take Ben folks. I think he may be injured. But okay. in future, I'll be looking yeah. at folks as... Would you take Bearstow to give him the gloves to free up um, Butler to bat instead of, say, say Ollie Pope goes for Bearstow, Bearstow keeps Butler bats? Is that something that you'd... Yeah, look, I think Ollie Pope certainly has to, has to be on shaky ground as well. He just doesn't look like he can get settled. That's that's the big impression with me that he walks out and he's like a cat on a hot tin roof yeah. and even if he gets through twenty or thirty balls he, he's not getting any better. Ollie Pope is the player I think who has the best technique in terms of array of shots that I've seen out of an Englishman possibly ever. But he doesn't know when to play them. He's no. just got all the shots ready to go and just no idea about when to play them. Like the one that he got out to to Nathan Lyon in the first innings where he. So step right back to try and cut it off basically middle and it just popped up straight to the slips. And I'm just like, that cut shot is never on. And you watch it all through his career, he'll just always, like, I get that there's trying, you're trying to play with positive intent, but sometimes you just need to keep your head about you. I think that's the biggest issue with Ollie Pope is that, and especially out here where there's such reward 
if you can actually play with a bit of persistence and, and determination composure. and composure, yeah. you can fill your boots out here because there are large periods where the ball doesn't do anything. Exactly, so, and it's hot and the bowlers get tired and the fielders make mistakes and ask Ian Bell, Kevin Peterson, Alistair Cook. If you put a price on your wicket and play with intent while putting a price on your wicket, you can really feel, you know, don't get out to the good balls, and when they start to, to do anything a little bit wrong, you punish them for it. You yeah. can really cash in, and I think that's like that Ollie Pope needs, because he's got such a phenomenal first-class record yeah, over there. Yeah, he's averaging like 60 or something. But he just needs to put some of those shots away, and just like you're you're never going to get a cut shot off Nathan Lyon when he's bowling at you yeah. over the wicket. It's Typically, the big criticism of Lyon is he starts too straight. Yeah. So you can almost just go, I can't play the cut. And if you get one that you can cut, you will know about it. It will yeah. be so glaringly obvious. It'll that be that is such a, a rank long hop mm. and, a, you know, a dusty long hop outside off stump. You'll see it well. So Yeah, and it's just, see, for more, like he showed a lot of promise in that first innings, that 30-odd at the beginning of the Gabba. But, um, no, no Australians have got under his skin too, I think. I just sense that when you listen to some of the commentary when he comes out to bat from the close-in fielders and stuff, um, he hasn't been spared. Mm. Well, I also So you'd go with, uh, so back to your team, so you'd go with Crawley and... I'm going with Crawley and Hamid. And, and Hamid um, Obviously Milan at three, Root at four, Butler at five. And Butler at five. Yeah. I think that's a good... That would be my thing. I yeah. don't think Ben Stokes is... Especially with the workload yeah, getting if you're gonna, the ball. If you're going to bowl him 25 overs and innings, he can't be batting at five and coming in when it's like three for 30. That's just ridiculous. You need to start getting some solid, some solidity into that order where you're not getting... It seems like if Root and Milan don't get in, they're done. Yeah, that's what it's been this series, yeah, basically. And, and, and Stokes is forced to play innings as like 13 off 80 balls and stuff like that to try and, to try and survive. Ben Stokes is a counter-puncher. I want him coming in at six after these guys have done the hard work and taking to the tiring bowlers before they get the new ball. You don't want him coming in when the ball's 25, 30 overs old and you're free for 40. Mm. So I'd be dropping him down the order if I'm going to bowl him that much. Per, obviously, folks is not there. I will take the gloves off Butler. And give it to Bairstow. Well, you, you've also got that Bracey. He's he's so you're sworn that they've got Root, Anderson, Bairstow, Best, Broad, Burns, Butler, Crawley, Hamid, Lawrence, Leach, Milan, Overton, Pope, Robinson, Stokes, Wokes, and Wood. Okay. Um, I believe they've kept uh, Mahmood. Oh, ben Folks is in the Lions squad, but I'm pretty yeah. sure he's gone home. So okay. I don't think he's still there. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think after Butler's travails in the last test, he really needs to have a break from the gloves. Bring Bearstow in. It does strengthen the batting lineup in theory. Okay. Um, and then so take, you, take your pick after that. I, I don't think you can. I, I, I'm, so I'm you've not gone, convinced about Chris Wokes. Okay. So, so you've got Bess, Robinson, Wood. So yeah. you've got one more, so you're going to go... You, I'm, so, going, I'm probably going to go with Broad, not Anderson. Anderson was so distinctly unimpressive in that last test match. We can keep you, because that would be exactly my team as well. Um, I would uh, I would, lo- I would love to see Ben Folks in the team, um, because he is the best wicket keeper in England. And, look, I've seen him... He's, he, 
the first time I seen him was in Sri Lanka on an absolute raging turner. He didn't drop a ball. He was absolutely outstanding. Got one of the best wicket keeping displays I've seen in a long, long time. Um, yeah, I think that's the way they've got to go. I, I, I was talking about it the um, before they ended up picking Milan to go and bat at three yeah. against India. I floated the idea to to Glenn. I'm like, what do you think about England picking Butler at? Um, at three and not being the wicketkeeper and just getting him to go out there and go, look, we want you to just go out and play positive. Yeah. Um, and give Ro- uh, Root a, a running partner so he's not coming in at, um, at you know, two, two, for, two for ten. Yeah. I think the average over the last 40 innings or something like that, something astonishing is two for 36 is when yeah. Joe Root gets to the crease, which is just, it's like, that's... It's credit to him that he's actually managed to be as successful as he has over this period, considering that his team has been letting him down in droves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would. I would be out of the players that are available. I'd be picking the exact same squad. I lo- I like the idea of taking because Butler, you've seen in the short form, is such a, a positive yeah. uh, stroke maker, and I think that there's there's value to take out of his batting. He was positive at the Gabba. He played such a fantastic uh, rear guard innings. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's not really the sort of rear guard innings you want him to be playing, isn't it? You want him to, if he's going to be on the it, on the back foot when he comes out, you want him to come out and just go for you. I suppose that even though it's not really what you're going to see, it shows that he is good enough to survive in the Australian matches, yeah. as we said earlier. That, look, so. I think it'll do his confidence in the world good technique-wise. Because I, he, he had it, they thoroughly examined his technique and he did, he actually played in a way that a lot of great players will do when they're trying to defend is they essentially play off the back foot for everything. Mm. I'm not a great fan of it. I think it, it, you, at some stage it's going to be one with your name on it if you're playing off the back foot all the time. And I think too, when just from a body language and a mentality point of view, getting forward, even if you yes. get forward to defend, at least... It, it shows intense. Um, yeah, and I really like sometimes when Warner plays like that where he'll block the ball and bellow, No run! Um, and yeah. it's just like well, clearly because you blocked it straight into the ground and there's a bat pad, but you just yeah you know, that positive rock forward. Yeah. And I just think that you know, even though you can play aggressive shots off the back foot, I think when you're permanently playing off the back foot, especially to defend, it just shows you know it's going backwards. It shows a bit of yeah. intimidate, like you're intimidated, a bit timid, yeah. and yeah. Or think even if it's just you're trying to soak up pressure rather than exert your own pressure. Whereas you know if you're you know bowling in your Nisa or you know even Lion and people like that, and he just casually just strides forward, throws the bat down, plays it flush into the pitch, and then goes, "Yep, what else you got?" And it just shows uh, I'm not troubled. Yeah. That's fine. It might be it's exactly the same result as getting right back in your crease and, no. and blocking it. But Lions looking at, especially Lions looking at that going, man, if I just hit the pads, he is dead to rights, LBW. Huh? And just it just sort of eggs them on. He's just going back. He's got nothing. He can't do anything with it. Whereas, you know, it's not a big transition from rocking forward to dead batting it to rocking forward to driving that back past the bowler. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think that um, intent is a big thing. They need to come out. We said it. The, we said it in the, fir- the the preview for the Ashes. We said it in the wrap up from the Gabba. We're going to say it now. This there is no more chances. It's two nil. Uh, the only I think only one team ever has come back from two nil down to win a series, and that guy had Don Bradman in it. Yeah, 36-37. Um, they led two nil, and we beat them three two. So, and that was when Bradman was just 
he'd made his debut. He'd had the good series in England and he dominated out here as well. He was really at the height of his powers, I think, right in that series where he just absolutely dominated that series. And obviously, you know, Bradman was Bradman. You know, he's like a one-man, you know, he's a one-man scorecard by himself. So, so and England certainly don't have anyone like that. They've got to come out with all the punches. Apparently, this will enrage you. I only found this out just before I came. Is Mark Wood was not managed, wasn't injured, wasn't pulling up sore. He was simply rested. He was fully fit, could have played, and they decided to arrest him. Right. And I'm just like, you're already 1-0 down. You need to be and, pulling out all the stops. And his pace has actually been quite surprising. His pace is consistently pushing 145 plus I would have thought if, if you were going to go with five quick bowlers, you had to have picked a fit Mark Wood right. because you can manage him. You can just have him bowling two or three over spells at 155 kilometres per hour, and you can really look after him. Might only end up bowling 15 overs for a whole innings. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's neither here nor there. They have to come out. They have to pick wood. And England have to be good. They have to catch well. They have to pitch it up. They have to be prepared to be driven. Yeah. Um, well, you, you and, can't, and you're not going to succeed out here if you're not prepared to be driven because the Australian batsmen are too good off the back foot. And you've got to get them forward. Have a look at the strengths of all of the Australian batsmen. What are their best shots? The cut shot, the pull shot. You know, probably who would be the best driver out of the top six? Travis Head and Cameron Green. Okay, the guys further down the order. The guys soaking up the new ball. They're wonderful back foot players. I don't mate. think I saw Steve Smith hit in that 90 he scored. I don't think he hit any runs of note in the V. No. The closest he got was I a think, cover drive. I, yeah, I think he hit one cover drive. That That's, was about but, it. But nothing back past mid-on, mid-off. No. You've got to get those guys playing playing forward early on. You've got to be prepared to go for some runs yeah. to try and take wickets. You can't work into it and try and... We'll, um, we'll adjust our lengths as you go. England, England need to come out. And, and with the bat, the other thing I need... Everyone's talking about... Uh, well, we'll stick with Burns or we'll stick with whoever because they can occupy the crease for a bit. Sit and at some point, need these guys to put scoreboard pressure yeah. on. Australia's confident enough bowling to Joe Root that they think they think they can pick him up yeah. at any point. Yeah. Um, they don't need a new... Like, they prefer a new ball, but if yeah. he sees off the new ball and gets to start, they, they're confident in their plans yeah. to Joe Root that well, they feel they could pick him up at any point throughout his innings. So Joe Root needs to come out. He can't. There's no point being... 25 overs into the game, and he comes out at two for 50. Yeah. Um, or, you know, two for 30 or two for yeah. Like, he needs to... If you guys, if, if Hamid or Burns or whoever, or Crawley get in, and actually, they need to start putting some scoreboard yeah. pressure back on the bowlers. That's why I would pick Crawley, because, mm. I mean, I, I did see that 250 that he made. He was imperious. Like yeah. Staggering some, how some far of the, he... Some of the, the, the front foot shots He scored a, He actually scored a... 50, I believe, in, in the tour to India. Yeah, he did. He, and he played really, really good well. off the front foot, drove yeah. really aggressive cricket. When the ball was there to be hit, he hit it. And then, uh, you know, and obviously we've seen oh, his look, career has gone sideways. India is just a massive, um, yeah, it would be a very difficult place to go and play cricket, I imagine. All right. So, okay. So, England didn't like you. They sacked you. But Australia likes your moxie. You've now been picked to manage Australia for Boxing Day. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, I hate to say it, Marcus, but you're having a rest. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll stick with the stipulations that Langer won't let you. Cause we, so you'd obviously pick Kawaja to open at yeah, the Boxing so Day. I, I think 
I think you have to go with Kawaja. I think so too. Yeah, being in the squad, but so well, it's probably not going to happen. But so you'd be Kawaja. So obviously Warner's going to hang around. Your batsmen yeah. are looking pretty uh, much. You're making each other changes to your batting lineup. It's all no, going to be bowlers. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I think unfortunately, Michael, um, I know you, you're one of the, the favourites here, but um, <laughs> you've um, you served your purpose, my friend. It's time to bring the big boys back. Um, Richardson stays. Yep, Richardson stays. Um, and yeah, look, it's just business as usual. I I actually think, uh, depending on who's available, the play the the first player out of the three that play at Adelaide for mine is Mitchell Stark. Uh, rested, rested. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you, you, I'm not taking into account rotation policy or anything. Like on that. on the form, 100 percent Stark gets in. But yeah. I think looking at it, if I was a selector, and I know it's Boxing Day, and it would yeah. suck because Stark has been just everything we want him to be. Stark yeah. has been, yeah. but I'd be saying, mate. Your go has been Christmas with Alyssa. Yeah, you've got, you um, got a sore back. You, you uh, like he pulled up a bit sore in that innings. You bowled a lot of overs in a hot sun. We know from last year that you don't back up over the course of a series. You've got Christmas off. Go enjoy it. We'll see you in Sydney. Yeah. Um, it sucks, but I think you've got to be ruthless because I think yeah. out of, we keep picking Stark out of sentiment when he hasn't been playing well and it hasn't ever really. He's never got it right the later on in the series. It's always gotten progressively worse yeah. and I want him fit and ready to go for New Year's and Hobart so I would be no. giving Stark a rest put him in cotton wool send him to go and have a romantic holiday with Alyssa go and open Christmas presents all that sort of stuff yeah. and I'd be running with um, Cummins I'd be running with Richardson and then um, depending on if Hazelwood was fit or not yeah, look, I, I think with Hazelwood's in the squad I can't say that they put him in the squad if he's not fit you just leave him out why would you bother? You just say, mate, well, stay home in Sydney. Mm. Michael Neese can have another game. Um, I was super impressed with Jai Richardson. What a, he's turned into a really ferocious, young, fast bowler, mate. Like, and handy with the bat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so most of our... Look, that's one thing that we are pretty good at is making our tail wag. Yes. Something that they have very, very... Well, how about Nisa rocking up? How hard's test cricket? Take a wicket with my second ever ball and then... <laughs> Smash um, 35 off 25 balls And or then, uh, you know, second time I go out to bat, I'm batting at three for Australia. <laughs> you know, this is a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad he got his debut. I, I would be tempted to give Hazelwood one more game off as well. Because of a side strain. Because of a side strain. We yeah. know that if he blows that in this one, we've written him off for, for months. Yeah. So... Uh, I would be, I would be thinking that yeah, Stark makes way for Cummins, who obviously takes the captaincy back, and I'd run with Nisa and Richardson. And Richardson, if if all the physios come through, give Josh Hazelwood the the tick of you know tick of approval. He's one hundred percent fit. He's not nursing anything. It's it, the his, the injury is a thing of the past. Yeah. Pick him. But if there's yeah, he should be right. Let's yeah. just wait till we got a two 0 advantage. Yeah. Um, just save them for Sydney. And actually. Nisa is the sort of bowler that will suit that Melbourne wicket, particularly if it's a bit on the slow side, because he bowls very much stump to stump. Mm. I mean, I was very impressed with his first spell, where he basically didn't bowl, bowl, bowl down the leg side. There was nothing down leg side. Everything was around about third to fourth stump, and you had to play. Yeah, and that's what you want. Yeah. So that'd be more. And you'd think that if um, if Stark misses out. 
Neeks will get the new rock as well because yeah. Cummins typically likes to he come in him. and bowl at first change. Yeah. So uh, that would be mine. I would I would be I'd be resting Mitchell Stark. I couldn't be happier with how he's how he's played. Thought he might have been a little bit. Uh, inconsistent at, at times during the Gabba, but it was his first bowl in a while, and overall he did the job he needed to do. But he was, I was supreme super, in yeah, Adelaide. He was brilliant in Adelaide. So that's the um, sort of thing that I mean, you, I'm not a great fan of Shane Warne's commentary. Oh, um, you're, I, I, you're you're amongst friends here. <laughs> I think I think he's just been controversial for controversy's sake at times because it sells newspapers and it gets him into the paper or whatever it is. Um, at times, his criticism of Mitchell Stark has been slightly justified. Most of it's not, I think. You know, have a look at the guy's record. You go back to to records, and there's this perception that he only knocks over tail enders. That's you, just not true. You don't get 250 wickets at 27 well, just knocking over the tail. Yeah, and being a pedestrian for the yeah. through batsman one through eight. Yeah. So no, Starkey. I've said it a number of times here that Mitchell Stark is probably the second player I pick. If he is fully fit and in form, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark. Yeah. He's just got that beautiful point of difference. Left arm is so quick. Okay, and, and left if he's arm, getting the ball to swing, yeah. he's almost unplayable. Yeah, left, and left arm is at pace seem a lot faster than right arm is at pace, and mm. I don't know why that is. It just seems to be... Well, I suppose at right hand is it looks like the yeah. whole time it's coming at you, and you're like, yeah. oh, and then it goes across. And then by the time you're, oh, I can play that, and it's yeah. across you, you get the edge, and yeah. that was Mitchell Johnson's sucker ball. Oh, it's not a bouncer I can draw. Oh, I shouldn't have driven at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Starkey, unfortunately, for mine, misses out. Uh, rest him up, give him a merry Christmas, and uh, get him back at Sydney and, and in Hobart, which typically tends to be pretty bowler friendly in terms of seeming around. Well, it so certainly has been this year. So that that would be mine. So batting, yeah. I would make a change at the top, but I just know it's not going to happen. So it'll be Marcus Harris again. Yeah. But um, yeah, for mine, the only change would be Cummins back in, Stark going out. And then Hazelwood to come in for for Nisa, if if you could assure me that yeah he is completely healed from that. If it's just like oh he should be right, I'd be going now at two nil up. I'm not burning the best Josh Hazelwood for potentially you know yeah. six eight twelve weeks. We'll just bring him, give him some more time to rest. He can have a merry Christmas as well, and we'll um, we'll see you guys yeah. in Sydney. And just to add a, you know rub their noses in a little bit more that we've. Leave out our two best bowlers or three best bowlers, and we're still too good for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry, oh, sorry to all the English listeners. Um, I'm gloating a little bit. Yeah. So I suppose. Well, before we leave, because we've run this one a little bit long, but we uh, we've we're very full of beans. We're we're two nil up, so we have every right to be. But there are things we need to be careful of. England oh, did create a lot of yes. chances, especially early on um, on day f- on day four. When, when they, they did finally get a fuller length. So that's they, something that Australia needs to be very switched on with. Yes. Um, that England haven't been rubbish the whole... Well, their batsmen haven't been great, but their bowlers have inconsistently got it right. Yeah. And if they consistently get it right, they're going to be a handful. And I think that's that's the, the disappointing thing is that for at various points they've figured it out. But through whatever reason, players that are as experienced as Anderson Broad, Joe Root as a captain, Chris all, of Wokes. The, all of their support staff and yeah. coaching staff haven't locked in on a plan that works. Like, 
They were talking about it. Uh, ben Stokes typically is a swing bowler. He's probably the best swing bowler in that side, other than Anderson. But and they use used him as, as a donkey. Uh, yeah, just get him in bowling bounces the whole time. And yeah. it's like I get that he's probably the he bowls probably the best, most accurate bouncer in your team. But this is a guy that can genuinely take wickets by pitching it up and swinging the ball. Wouldn't yeah. you at least start there first? Well, and if you were getting no love, you'd yeah. then bring him in as that. Well, he has that. He role. has that bow for Mesk's knack mm. of. of he pitches the ball up, and he'll produce a really, really good ball. The ball like that got water. Water. the ball that got water out off the note. We bowled him off the no ball. That was a phenomenal ball, and yeah. he's capable of doing that if he keeps his foot behind the line. But they just seemed intent on him running and bowling bounces. And you know what? Look, the, the Australian batsmen eat bounces for breakfast most Neil, of the time. Neil Wagner has a lot to answer for. Okay, because Neil Wagner come over here, what was it, last year, the year before, mm. and bounced the crap out of the Australians. But how had, many people And has been he... the only person in my lifetime, besides the West Indians, back in the 70s and 80s, who got away with it. And I like you said, we we grow up on short balls. He didn't rip anyone's face off. That's the thing that I ever, oh, Neil Wagner did a phenomenal job. It's like... He did a phenomenal job because he could bowl long, sustained spells of short balls, but he didn't unsettle anyone. How many people got caught out in the deep, like off fairly clean hook and pull shots, but they just set everyone back for it, and it's, oh, I'm sick of this guy bowling these 125-kilometre bounces at me. And they just went after it, and they just, they bored the Australians into giving wickets in that Neil Wagner. Like, he bowled some very good ones. Wade wore a few. There were a few that whizzed past the chest. But overall, he wasn't overly intimidating. What was mesmerising was that... He would he bowl doing it. eight straight overs yeah. where everything was up around your chest, and you're just like, well, wow, credit to him. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I admire the physical ability to do that. But yeah, um, As, yeah look, from, but I just think that it, it gave a, a false blueprint of the way that you go about attacking Australian batsmen. Mm. Okay, look, yeah, you weighed more a few in the chest because he probably wanted to. You want to watch a spell of short bowling, well, modern short bowling at Australians, you need to go and find the spell at Centurion. Of Mornay Morkel. Mornay Morkel and Stain to, to Michael Clark. That is short pitch bowling. That was dangerous. That looked like every other ball was about to jag a glove or yeah. the top of the bat or something like and that. sustained hostility at pace. Yeah. It was, I think... Um, I'm sure there was hostile intent, but for all intents and purposes, I think Neil Wagner's innings was short, but it wasn't hostile. Mm -hmm. And it was very much that I'm sick of having to have these deal with these bounces. I'm going to start playing shots. And it was a great plan. It unsettled Smith, but I don't think it was... Smith fearing for his no, safety. It, it was, was more, more being about getting annoyed about getting out to those type of balls. And just not being able to force the get to keep the scoreboard ticking over because no. there were so many players in defending that. So no. I think that was probably more of the and so they've got to be they've got to England need to be more prepared than that. It can't just be, alright, that's not working, let's bang it in short and set everyone back on the leg side no. because and that's yeah, not going to work either. Look, I'm not a fan of um, this modern tactic that you have boundary riders in test matches. I, I don't, you know, when you're on a hundred, I might put a guy out on the boundary, but I want to, I want to keep you interested. I want you to drive through the covers. I want you to hit me down the ground. How staggering for large points of the the third innings. There was only one slip in. For I know. Extraordinary, but they've free boundary riders. Mm. You got free boundary riders. You're trying to get back into the game. You're trying to restrict the Australians from putting on a big score 
but you're basically allowing them to, to dictate their own terms. In England, if early on, England need to put all their chips on the table and need to be prepared to cop some boundaries yeah. for a period of time to try and get these plans to work. If they're just going to go, oh, they've hit a boundary, let's go and spread the field a bit, it's just going to be the same story again. Yeah. Uh, and Australia will pile on a big score and England's questionable batting lineup will then be under the pump and if Milan and or Root fail, they're probably going to fall in a heap. So they mm-hmm. need to come out and ideally win the toss, bat first if the conditions suit, yeah. and they need to put on at least 350. Oh. If they're not putting on 350... Well, and this has been a consistent problem for England over a, a period of time now, that the, the lack of scores of over 400... Over 300? Yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to win too many test matches... Around the world, in in average conditions, let's t- let's take an average of all the conditions around the world. Is three hundred going to be good enough to win anywhere in the world? No, not a top of three hundred. Three hundred no. is probably getting you yeah. into the game. Yeah, like you know, on on you, parity. Yeah, you go to India. What would you be expecting to make in the first innings over there? If you want to boss the game in India, you, you need, need to be making four fifty. Yeah, four fifty five hundred, and even sometimes that's not enough. Hmm. Because I mean, I've seen India overtake that lead before, so I, I, I really don't know where England go here. I, I they don't have the cattle, I think, to really, really hurt the Australians. Besides Root, and to a lesser extent Milan and Robinson and Wood, if they have good games, that will bring them into the game. But in, England in, needs in, a Melbourne, in Melbourne, you're going to need a spinner. And I just don't have any faith. You know, I don't think you can pick Jack Leach. I think you have to pick Don Best. So do I, especially after what Australia know they can do to him at the Gabba. Yeah, uh, yeah so I think England, they're staring again down the barrel of, you know, the only thing that's going to stop them is a really flat Melbourne wicket from being 5-0. Yeah. I think this is a game they might be able to eke out a draw. Yeah, because, uh, I mean... Both teams will end up cancelling their cover out of it's one of those really mud patch Melbourne wickets that's or, slow or low. rain in Sydney washing yeah. out a day or so. I think that's the only way they evol- uh, they avoid five nil at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've shown that they've can create chances, but their other facets, their other disciplines have let them down. Yeah, catching, batting. So they haven't put discipline has let them, has let them mm-hmm. down. I mean, it's just still discipline to be bowling no balls. We bowl one no ball. One no ball. Yeah. And that was caught by the TV umpire. <laughs> you know what I mean? We bowled one no ball in two tests. So, yeah, it's an uphill slog for the Poms. Uh, they're, yeah, they're going to need to, like, they can't leave anything on the table. They've got to be prepared. They've got to go all in from from day one. What if they, Especially if they lose the toss or they lose the toss and have to bowl first. Yeah. It's just got to be, like, I, if, if we're 100, if they're 100, if we're 130 runs at lunch, because England have been too attacking. Yeah. That's that's the sort of mindset they're going to be in. If we get it wrong, Australia's going to be 100 runs at lunch because we need to really be chasing stuff. It's going to be, we've got to have them four for 60 or they're going to be none for 100 sort of yeah. thing. It's, you know, four yeah. slips, a gully, really hitting those hard yeah. blows, nick off lines and yeah. settling in there and backing their bowlers and to get I, the job and done. I actually think you go differently this time. You throw the new ball to Ollie Robinson and Mark Wood. 
you tell Wood to just unleash. Well, if you're not going to pick Anderson, I reckon you can get away with that. If you're not, yeah. if if you pick Anderson, he must use a new because rock. he's he can't do anything yeah. if it's not a new rock. Which is why I wouldn't pick Anderson because no. I just the game he was supposed to boss Australia, he was pedestrian in. So yeah. I just I, I honestly don't see unless the Hobart looks like it's absolute greens hot. I don't think Anderson plays again for the rest of this tour. Yeah, I, I just I, I can't I, I, see. Him. I couldn't agree more. He was so it was very disappointing in, in Adelaide. He really was. And I just don't see Sydney being something that's going to suit him either. So the, I think the next test that you'd realistically, if England was serious about trying to win the series, the next time that you'd really look at Anderson would be Hobart. Yeah. Um, and you'd find a way for Ward Robinson, Wokes, Broad, being that other guy, in to try and get the yeah. job done. All right. I think that might do us. Our 99th episode has gone on for a while. Aaron, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here. Mate, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, lovely to come in and actually see how the podcast that I listen to gets manufactured Peek every week. Peek behind the curtain, so yeah, to speak. very, very, very surreptitiously. We, we would love to have you back, I think. I think you'd be a, a, a more than welcome addition to the rest of this oh, podcast. And this love... is something that you're interested in poking your head in every now and then? Oh, absolutely. I feel like I'm part of the family now. <laughs> Excellent. And speaking of family, where's Gary? I don't know. I've rung him a few times. He didn't get back to me. I hope he's all right. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you, Gary. Merry you Christmas, listening. Gary. And Merry Christmas to Glenn and all the listeners. Uh, so, as you might have guessed, and as I alluded to in our last episode, this is going to be the last one for 2021. So, yeah, uh, we didn't quite get that last shot away before Stumps to get yeah. to 100. So, we're going to have to go away, have a few restless nights, come back in the new year, and yeah. knock out episode 100, which, for any long-time listeners that have been following us for a while, we are hoping to get Scotty back, who was our... Uh, He's the original. The, one of the originals to come back for a celebrity shift to get to celebrate yeah. episode 100. We have no idea what we're going to be talking about in episode 100 yet, so... Oh, look, it, I think just a, a general mishmash of the previous 99 would suffice. Oh, you reckon just a clip show? Yeah, well, maybe not a clip show. <laughs> a, a, a clip show with some interjections, you know. Um, so maybe. I don't believe we said that. There's a lot of editing involved in a clip <laughs> show. I thought about that one before. But we'll figure something out. There was... Uh, there's been some ideas going around. But, yeah, so uh, thank you for everyone who's listened to us for these uh, 99 episodes. Uh, we hope that you have a, a very Merry Christmas or... Uh, you know, if you're not one of those people that celebrate Christmas, enjoy the end of 2021. And yes, enjoy your, your non-pagan ceremonial <laughs> celebrations. Uh, we hope that uh, the beginning to 2022 and the rest of it is fantastic. And we hope that you're here enjoying the ashes. So uh, that's a, a happy goodbye from us and uh, bye for now. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.